Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our two-part series, DNA, Who We Are. For more information about CBC or how you can get connected, please visit our website, www.cbcsavannah.com. God Almighty, we come to you and we worship you this morning. We confess, uh, once again, absolute dependence on you. You are the one who gives life and breath to every living creature. And so this morning, we are completely sustained by you. You are so worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our worship just because of who you are. You're also worthy of our our worship because of what you've done. We know that we would only know you as judge if you did not send Jesus to, to save us. But because he's come, because he's died for us, we look to you as redeemer. We look to you as our father. And Lord, I thank you that, I thank you that you're my father. I thank you that as the perfect father, you want to give good gifts to your children Um, And we need the good gift this morning of meeting with you, God. We need to be fed, like Ethan encouraged us. We need to be refocused. Our hearts need to be retuned to you. So I'm asking that you will please come and do that in us this morning. Um, Lord, I confess my need again. I am such a weak man, physically, spiritually. Apart from you, I can do nothing. Apart from you, there's no way I can encourage your people. So I pray, Lord, that by your kind spirit, you might just use your word today to encourage and build up your people, that we might see that in following you, we find our life. Pray that you do that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys can open up to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. We are starting a new series today, kind of a mini-series. It's... um, sort of a different type of thing for us. Usually we go through books of the Bible, preaching verse by verse, uh, but we finished the book of Acts early, and so we're going to take two weeks to consider our DNA, who we are, both who we are as individuals uh, who follow Christ, and then who we are as a, as a church who follows Christ. And so if you've been here for a while, this will be a, a reminder for you, but if you are new to CBC, then we, we want to introduce you to what we're all about here. Um, so here's how it'll work. Next week, Bill is going to unpack our mission statement for us. But before we talk about who we are corporately, we've got to talk about who we are, um, who we are individually as followers of Christ. So if you've been around, you have heard us talk quite a bit about the specs of a follower of Christ. And, and what the specs are to us, there's five things that we see Jesus consistently teaching about and consistently modeling in his ministry. And there's five things that we want to be true about us. There are five things that we want to be growing in and striving for. Um, And so the the specs of a follower of Christ, they're not not all there is to following Jesus, but what they do is they give us a target to shoot at. So we're going to be talking about those today. Um, But before we do, I want to tell you guys a story. When I was 10, something happened in my life that forever changed the trajectory of my life. It was after church. 
and me and my dad went to go pick up Wendy's for the rest of the family. And as we were driving over, dad looks over at me um, as if to kind of assess if I'm ready to handle what he's about to tell me. This father-son sacred moment is brewing. And he looks over at me and he says, Bud, when we get to Wendy's, I want you to take some of your fries and dip them down in your Frosty and eat your fries that way. And, and then we get to Wendy's, and I, I look over at my dad, and my dad has taken his fries, and he is dipping them down into his Frosty and eating them, and this look of enjoyment just comes on his face. And I'm thinking, man, this sounds crazy, and, and this looks crazy, but I trust my dad, and so followed his lead. I took some fries on that faithful day. I stepped out in faith and scooped some Frosty up, and I put it in my mouth, and I'll never eat Wendy's the same. (laughs) It's the best way to eat Wendy's. Today, we're going to look at a passage where Jesus is teaching something and modeling something that sounds absolutely crazy. It sounded outrageous to his original audience. It should sound outrageous to us. Way crazier than dipping your fries in a Frosty. Listen to what he says. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25. And friends, let me remind you what an honor it is to have the Word of God in your lap. What an honor it is to come to know God through the Scripture. He has spoken. When the Scripture speaks, God speaks. Um, And so we are privileged this morning to have these words before us. Uh, Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25. Then Jesus told his disciples... If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. To anyone in the first century who heard these words, this would have sounded absolutely crazy. That this man is saying, if you want to come after me, if you want to follow me, if you want the benefits that I have, you're going to have to give up everything. Total self-denial, you're going to have to trust me with everything, even if, even if it means your life. Would have sounded crazy to them. And it should sound e- equally crazy to us. That, that Jesus would say, if you would want to follow me, you have to yield complete control. You have to give it over to me. You have to trust me with everything. And here's what Jesus knew. Jesus knew that what he was saying sounded crazy. And he knew that what he was saying looked crazy. It would look crazy to the culture. right? He says, look, if if you try to save your life, if you try to avoid this, you're actually going to lose it. What he was saying is when culture sees people following Jesus, they're going to say, This doesn't make any sense. These people are foolish. They're giving up their life. But what Jesus promises in verse 25, look at this, so good. If you will lose your life for my sake, if if you will deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, if you will do this, you will actually find the life that you were made for. You will come to see why you were created and you will thrive under my rule. If you follow me, you will find life. So here's how I want us to break down the specs today. 
first I want us to see how Jesus taught each one of these things. Then I want us to see how he modeled each one of these things. Then I want us to, to consider this. As we make these specs a reality in our lives, the culture is going to look at us and say, it's crazy. You're, you're losing your life. Why would you live like that? But ultimately, where I want us to land is, if I will make these things a reality in my life, if you will make these things a reality in your life, you will not lose your life. You will actually find your life. You will see why you are created as you live under God's good rule. So let's begin. We're going to have a little crowd interaction today. It's new for me, so we'll see how it goes. It's been average in the first two services. Um, does anybody know what the S in SPEC stands for? Okay, good. Sarah Fowler. Is that, or is that, oh, that's Ann. Sorry. Okay, our pastor's wife doesn't even know, so we're doing good. <laughs> um, okay, the, the first spec of a disciple is scripture. A follower of Jesus submits to the scripture. So let's see how Jesus taught it, and then let's see how he modeled it. Friends, Jesus, while he was on earth, could not have spoken more highly of the scriptures. Matthew chapter 19, he affirms that when scripture speaks, God speaks. And so when he taught in the synagogue, he taught from the scripture. When he was not in the synagogue, he didn't have a copy in front of him. He, he quoted the scripture and he explained what it, what it said. Jesus was all about the scripture. He believed that it was accurate down to the very smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And that, it, that heaven and earth would pass away before this book goes unfulfilled. He taught that the scriptures are historically reliable in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus basically affirmed all that we would affirm in our doctrinal statement about the Scripture, that they're inspired, inerrant, that they are faultless, accurate. But he didn't just teach it. He was dipping his fries in the frosty. Jesus said, man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. When he was tempted, he quoted Scripture. He lived his entire life submitted to Scripture in perfect obedience to it. His life was governed by the scripture. Both his teaching and his example show us that as followers of Christ, we need to be people who submit to the scripture. Now, culture's going to push back on us, aren't they? They're, they're going to say, dude, are you really going to let a 2,000-year-old regressive book influence the way you think and dictate the way you live? Do you not have a mind for your own? And we will say, yes, we do have a mind for our own. And yes, we will let a 2,000-year-old book influence the way that we think and dictate the way that we live. And let me tell you why. There was a time when we allowed the culture to influence the way that we thought and to dictate the way that we lived. And let me tell you how it worked out for me. It left me empty. And it left me broken, and it left me hurting, and it left me longing for something more. All these, all these things that the culture promised it couldn't deliver on. But when I came to know God, and I started to engage with Him through this book, all that started to change. I started to see what I was made for, and as I came under the rule of the one true God, I started to find this satisfaction I didn't know otherwise existed. When we submit our lives to the Scripture, we don't lose our life, my friends. We actually find it. Let me give you one example of how this is happening to one of our college guys. This guy uh, trusted Christ right at the turn of the new year. Um, dramatic conversion. And he comes to me and says, all right, what, uh, what should I be reading in the Bible? 
And I said, dude, just start, start with Jesus. Get, get in the book of Mark, work through one section each day, just get to know Jesus. Well, after a couple weeks, this guy comes to me, sits down in my office, and he goes, dude, have you ever read in Mark chapter 4 when Jesus calms the storm? I go, I, I think I know the passage you're talking about. He goes, dude, I'm reading this. And that's exactly what happened in my life. Jesus came into my life. My life was a storm. It was a wreck. And he looked into my life and he said, peace, be still. And everything changed. This dude is finding his life as he comes to know God through the scripture. But you see, guys, we don't just find our life as we meet with God through the scripture. We find our life as we submit to his commands in the scripture. Okay? Um, last six weeks, our men's group has been meeting here on, on Thursday mornings. We've been talking about purity. And the room, you guys, is filled of men who bought the lie that culture sells on sexuality. Indulge yourself. Find freedom. Here's what almost all of us have found. That is not freedom. That is slavery. That is bondage. It has left us broken and thirsty and hurt, and it has damaged relationships all around us. But when, by the grace of God, we have come back to him and submitted to his rule and heard what he has to say about marriage and sexuality, we've come to find our life. Relationships are being put back together. Men are growing and thriving as they ought. God gives commands, my friends, for our good. They're not burdensome. They're so his people might flourish under his rule. And so I, I want to address a couple groups that may be here this morning. If you're here this morning and you, you don't know Jesus, um, you're not a Christian, there is no doubt that this sounds so weird to you. That, that we would allow a 2,000-year-old book to influence and dictate the way that we would think or live. This seems so weird to me before I was a Christian. <laughs> I know it seems weird. But let me ask you this. As you have submitted your life to the culture and, and allowed them to sort of govern uh, the way that you do things, how has it worked out for you? Are you satisfied with where you are? And if you're not, I would just say, why not dip your fries in the frosty? See what it's all about. Why not come and see who Jesus really is? Second group I want to address is this. Um, I know there's so many of you in here who just, you love Jesus. You, you love coming here on Sunday mornings. You love worshiping with the church. But engaging with God on a daily basis through his word is challenging for you. Um, this book seems kind of confusing and hard to understand. Um, you may be intimidated by it. We've put together a little tool if you're in that category. They're in the back. Um, this is a bookmark for you to put in your Bible with just basically how to engage with God through the Bible. So pick one of those up, put it in your Bible. Like I told this guy, start in the Gospels, engage with Jesus, and see if the quality of your spiritual life doesn't grow. See if you don't start to find your life as you engage with God. When we submit to the Scriptures, my friends, we find our life. So what's the S in specs? Man, gosh, that was bad. <laughs> I'll ask you again on the next point. See how we do. Okay. The P in specs is prayer. It used to be pursuit. We've changed it to prayer. You can't argue with that. If you argue with prayer, you've got a problem. 
Um, okay, followers of Christ are people who pray. Followers of Christ are people who pray. Let's see how J- Jesus taught it, and let's see how he modeled it. Um, Jesus taught about prayer all the time. It was like Bill Fowler talking about 1980s music. Couldn't get through a sermon without it, right? Jesus made it clear that his followers should pray. He taught them to pray in secret. He taught them to pray without ceasing. He taught them to pray and not lose heart, to pray persistently. Jesus talked a lot about prayer, to pray with faith. He taught most famously when his disciples asked him, how should we pray? He said, well, pray to the one true God as your father, which was a mind-blowing thought that we could come to the one true God, the invisible creator and just God as our dad. But he said, you can do it because you're coming in my name. You can do it because I've earned it for you. And he he taught us to worship God, to adore him, to bring our needs to him, to confess our sins to him. Jesus taught that his followers should pray. But he didn't just teach that we should pray. He was dipping his fries in the frosty. Gospels tell us that Jesus got up early to pray, that he often withdrew to pray, that on some occasions he prayed all night, that before significant events in his life, he agonized in prayer. Whole chapters of the New Testament are committed to Jesus' prayers. He was a man of prayer. So both his teaching and his example show us that following him means living a life of prayer. Now, culture's going to push back on us, isn't it? You're going to say, why would, you, why would you pray to a God who's not there? I mean, studies have shown that their prayer doesn't work. Right, a placebo effect, a placebo effect at best, maybe, but prayer is, is nothing more than a waste of time. And friends, we would say, no, 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 no. Prayer is not a waste of time. Prayer might be the best way that we could possibly spend our time. When we pray to God, we find our life. Let me tell you what I mean. Think with me. Have you had those moments where you're praying? And all of a sudden, it's not like you're talking to the air or to the ceiling or to the wall. You know that you are communing with the one true God. You ever had those moments? You ever had those moments where your life is crashing down all around you? Your circumstances are horrible. You're miserable. You're, you're bound up. And you bow before your father. And you start casting your anxieties on him. And all of a sudden, the peace of God floods into your life. Have you ever experienced that? It's an awesome thing. Have you ever experienced times in prayer where you're you're praying to God and the Spirit of God identifies some sin in your heart, something you weren't even aware of? But, But he doesn't do it like some jerk. He does it with his arms around you in gentleness and with love so that you look at your sin and you say, I don't want that. I want Jesus. Have you experienced that? When we pray to God, we don't lose our lives, we find our lives. And friends, there is hardly anything better than answered prayer. Clear answered prayer with no other explanation. One of my favorite stories of answered prayer in my own life came uh, shortly after I was out of college. Me and some buddies had gotten together to pray, and uh, we had spent some time in prayer. And as we were praying, one of those guys stopped us and he goes, Fellas, God is putting orphans and widows really strong on my heart right now. I can't shake it. So we, we prayed. All right, God, we're 24 punks. We don't know any orphans or widows. Uh, what do you want us to do with this? So we prayed. As we're praying, the, the man's house that we were at, he's a doctor in town, walks downstairs. He says, stop praying. 
He goes, I just got off the phone. He had no clue what we were doing. He, he says, stop praying. He goes, I just got off the phone with a patient of mine, 80 years old, lost her husband a couple years ago. She's been crying to me for 30 minutes on, because she's lonely. You guys need to go hang out with her. And we were like, what? I mean, we didn't know whether to laugh or bow down. But, but here's the thing, my friends. There is a God, and he loves to answer prayer. He loves it. And when we don't come to him in prayer, we are missing out. Now, let me say this. I know that of all these specs, prayer is one of the most difficult ones for us to practice. Right? There are all these things, notifications and alerts that are clamoring for our attention. So I want to give you six kind of rapid-fire tips on how you might improve your prayer life. Um, number one, before your feet hit the floor in the morning, before you do anything else, before you look at your phone or anything, just thank God. Thank God for the rest that he's given. Confess your dependence on him for a new day. Begin your day with prayer. Uh, tip number two. When you spend time in the Word each day with God, make prayer a significant part of that time. Okay, don't just go to the Word and study the Word so that your theological brain gets bigger. No, push those things down in your heart and allow prayer to happen. Allow the Word to start a conversation between you and God. Where He reveals things about Himself, worship Him. Where He reveals things about you, confess your sin and ask for your help. Where He reveals things about Christ, praise Him for the grace that He's given you in Christ. But allow prayer to be a big part of your time in the Word. Um, tip number three, follow Charles Spurgeon's advice. Here's what he said. I always feel it well to put a few words of prayer between everything I do. So as you go throughout your day, when you finish one task and move on to the next, just shoot up a prayer. Thank God for how he helped you finish the, the previous thing and ask for his help as you go forward. Um, tip four, this is a great little practice that will yield a bunch of fruit. Um, when you get back to work after lunch, or if you're a mom, once you get your kids down for a nap, take, take five minutes and pray. Maybe you set an alarm to remind you. It is amazing what God can do in your heart in just five minutes in the middle of the day when you refocus on him. Um, tip number five. This is kind of toward husbands, toward dads. Make family prayer and make prayer with your spouse a part of your daily routine. Maybe you do it after dinner. Maybe you do it before bedtime. Maybe you pray with your wife after kids go down. Um, there is probably, I, I'm sure there's something, there's very little you can do that's better for your family than pray with them and for them. And I know a lot of us don't want to do this because we feel stupid, right? Or, or we don't really know how, we don't, where to, don't know where to start. Here's what I would say. Great. Be real. God wants you. He doesn't want you imitating somebody to pray big theological prayers. Just pray to God and see what happens. See if unity with your family doesn't grow. See if your heart for him doesn't grow. Um, and then last tip, most important one, remember what an honor it is to pray. Let me tell you what I mean. Have you ever thought about what it cost God for you to have the privilege of praying to him. A apart from Christ, you guys, we would only know God as judge. But God the Father sent God the Son to live perfectly for us, to die, to atone for our sins, so that we might be brought into a friendly relationship with him, so that he might become our father. The privilege of prayer 
cost Jesus everything. Right? And, and the value of a gift is determined by what it costs, is it not? And so remember that it is such a gift to get to come to God in prayer. When we do this, we'll find our life. So what's the P in specs? Oh, nice. Look at this. Quick improvement. Well done. Um, okay, moving on to the E. The E in specs, anybody know? Engaged. <laughs> Maddie, you're such a godly man, but you're over for 2. Um, followers of Christ engage with the culture for the sake of Christ. Followers of Christ engage with the culture for the sake of Christ. Let's see what Jesus taught and let's see what he modeled. Jesus' entire ministry is bookended with this call for his followers to be on mission. So he, he calls his first disciples by saying, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Then after his death on the cross for us and his resurrection, he says to him, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded to you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So from start to finish, Jesus is teaching that his people need to be people on a mission, a mission to follow Jesus and to fish for men, to bear witness like we saw in the book of Acts. But he didn't just teach it. He lived this. He was dipping his fries in the frosty. And we see him doing it in interactions that he had with the Samaritan woman, with Zacchaeus, with countless others. But we also have to consider that his whole life was a mission. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Luke chapter 9, we see him set his face toward Jerusalem, where he would go steadfastly to die and offer his body as an atoning sacrifice for sins. His whole mission was an effort to seek and save the lost, like he said in Luke chapter 19. And after he accomplished that mission, he gives his followers the exact same mission. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you, he says to them in John chapter 20. And so both by his teaching and by example, we see that followers of Jesus, that we, part of our DNA, is that we need to be engaged with the culture, engaged with the lost for his sake. Now, culture's going to push back hard on this one. And your flesh is going to push back hard on this one. My flesh is going to push back hard on this one. Because we, we listen to the voice of the culture when it comes to engaging them about Christ. We listen to them when they say, dude, don't put your religion on me. Don't do it. Not interested. All roads lead to God anyway, so it doesn't really matter. They, they would encourage us not to live for such a foolish purpose. They would say, dude, go, go make money. Go live it up. Go serve yourself. Indulge yourself. Live while you're here. If you do this, you will lose your life. You will look foolish. And we'll say, well, we might look foolish, but we will not lose our life. No, 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 no. Friends, when we engage with God on his mission, we will not lose our life. We will begin to find our life. We will start to see more of God's power and experience it. We will start to see and experience more of God's joy. And there's just, there's not much more satisfying than that. Let, let me illustrate it with a couple stories. Um, the Nicaragua trip last year, uh, a young man went down there on us, or with us on the trip who wasn't a Christian. And a few of us have been sharing with him before he goes down. And um, we're there a couple days, and he and I go for a walk. And he opens the word, starts to read it. 
And friends, the Spirit of God came on this guy in such a strong, powerful way that it was ridiculous. He starts weeping. He starts confessing his sin. He says to God, I give up. I give up. I'm, I'm not running anymore. I'm yours. And then the next hour and a half are filled with this dude just on his knees crying, confessing his sins to God. And then he has these moments of joyful elation as he just rejoices in the forgiveness that God gives. I mean, tangibly felt the peace and forgiveness of God. And I'm sitting here, got a front row seat to this, and I'm thinking, whew, this is the power of God. Like this guy's life is being completely transformed right before my eyes. Friends, you don't see God's power like that until you engage with God on his mission. And when you do, it is not losing your life. It is finding your life. But when you engage with him on this mission, it's, it's not just seeing his power. It's also experiencing this joy that he has to offer, this joy that is so deep and so good. Same guy two months ago. He calls me up says, dude, I got a buddy who's not doing good. I'm going to go share the gospel with him. Will you be praying for me? So I'm like, yeah, dude, I'll pray. So 45 minutes later, he calls me up. He says, dude. We got a new brother. And so I start cheering. He starts cheering. We put on worship at my house. We have a dance party for like 30 minutes, tears coming down our faces. And I'm thinking, dude, this is not losing your life. This is finding your life. When you point people to the one they were made for, when they find the grace and forgiveness that their heart is so thirsty for, when they come to see the love and acceptance of the Father who sent his son to die for them. No, 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 no. That is not losing your life. That is fun in your life when God lets you be on his mission. When we engage with the culture for this, or we engage with the lost for the sake of Christ, friend, we find our life. We do. Don't miss out on it. What's the E in specs? There we go. Um, what's the C? Community. There's a quick transition, David. You're on your toes. Community. Um, Followers of Christ are committed to biblical community. Followers of Christ are committed to biblical community. So um, what did Jesus teach? Here's what he taught. He taught that he came to gather a community of people. He taught very much that God's plan was not just an individual plan, but it was a communal plan. That he came to gather uh, people like a shepherd gathers sheep or like a hen gathers her chicks together. That was part of his task in coming. But he didn't just teach us that we were to be a community. He taught us how to interact within that community. And so he said that second only to loving God is how we love one another. Jesus was constantly telling his followers how they ought to interact within biblical community. But again, he didn't just teach this. He lived it. Jesus dipped his fries in the frosty. Think about the last three years of his life. Last three years of Jesus' life, he was hardly ever alone basically lived his life in this traveling community group where they were constantly hanging out, they were constantly eating together, they were constantly sharing life together, they were praying with each other, they were praying for each other, they were meeting each other's needs, they were encouraging each other, they were challenging each other. Jesus was all about community. And as his followers, we need to be people who are committed to biblical community. Now, this is a tricky one when we identify kind of what the culture would think about biblical community. The thought of community, generally the culture would probably think, no, that's a great idea. 
we're hungry for community too. But where the culture errs, and where most of us probably err, is this. We want the benefits of community without paying the cost for it. The culture and most of us want the benefits of community without ever paying the cost for it. So the community that we were made for is a community that, where we're known all the way, known intimately and loved intimately, fully known and fully loved. Now, for most of us and, and for most of the culture, that's a scary thought. I mean, being fully known is a risk. It means coming into the light. It means being vulnerable and open about our junk. Well, it's easier. It's easier to have community on Facebook behind a screen or to go into the coffee shop and put the headphones in and look down at your device. Or it's easier for us to come into church and to act like we have it all together. To act like things are great. I got a beautiful wife making millions of dollars. I got one kid at Harvard. I got two kids in the NBA. Things are good. I'm doing all right. Right, we, we kind of act like that, don't we? But Jesus died for so much more. He died that we might have real community. And, and let me show you how his cross can actually provide for us the real community that we were created for. Okay? Because of the cross of Christ, here's what I know about you. I know that you are so jacked up, it's not even funny. I know that your heart is so filthy and gross I know that this room is full of perverts and addicts and arrogant jerks. I know that because your sin, individually, is so bad that Jesus had to die for you. That is God's statement about your sin. You know that about me. You know that I am wicked to the core. That the only right payment for my life is Jesus' life, death. So for us to pretend that all things are good is just foolish, isn't it? God has spoken with a megaphone, <laughs> things are not good. For us to pretend like we have it all together is just plain silly. But here's what else I know about you, okay? And if you don't hear anything else today, hear this, please. Here's what I know about you. I know because of the cross of Christ that you are so relentlessly loved by God, you are so relentlessly accepted by God, that if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, he looks at you as his beautiful daughter or his beautiful son, that you could not be more loved and accepted by him. Only because of the cross can we ever be fully known and fully loved. And that's what God wants for this community. He wants us to be able to be real with each other, to be open about our struggles, knowing that, man, it's okay not to be okay because in Christ, I have the acceptance that I'm craving. I have the love that I need, and only as I receive that love am I going to be transformed out of my filth and into his image. Does that make sense? <laughs> That's not a good sign when the preacher asks, does that make sense? And nothing. <laughs> oh. No, yes, thank you. Um, so here's kind of a couple encouragements. One, if you have been at CBC for a while, but you hadn't taken a step into biblical community, and maybe it's because it's a burden for you. People are messy. You know it's a commitment. It's, it's difficult. I would just, I would encourage you, don't miss out. Don't miss out on what Jesus has for you. And then for those of you guys who are in community, and most of our church does community really well, I would, I would say Take those steps of transparency. 
take the steps of vulnerability and see if the grace of God does not meet you, and if it doesn't serve kind of the entire group. Um, okay, so what's the C in specs? Community. When we live life in biblical community, we find our life. Last one, the S. Anybody want to take a stab at it? Stewardship. Yes, good job, Matt. Comes through late after a tough game. Well done. Um, followers of Christ steward their time, their talents, and their resources for the glory of God. Followers of Christ steward their time, their talents, and their resources for the glory of God. So one more time, Jesus is teaching an example. Jesus taught a lot about stewardship. People like to make the statement, he taught more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined. Um, and, and he taught us not to lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven. He taught us to give generously, to give secretly. He, he taught that the Christian life for the wealthy is challenging because there's all kinds of new temptations that come when money comes. But he didn't just teach us to steward our resources. He, he taught us to steward our whole lives, our, our time and everything else. In fact, he spends two chapters toward the end of his life talking about the reality that his followers should live in such a way that we would welcome his return at any time. Jesus was, I mean, he was repetitive about stewardship. But he didn't just teach it. He lived a life of stewardship. He was dipping his fries in the frosty. Um, you know, I thought this week, yeah, but wasn't stewardship for him different? I mean, you're talking about first century. This guy's got no mortgage to pay. Doesn't have to put his kids through college. Not saving for weddings. Stewardship for him is, is different, isn't it? And then God brought to mind Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 when he says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you by his poverty, might become rich. Well, we've got to remember, you guys, that Jesus Christ was the praise of heaven, okay? That everything is his, and that he left it all to become a servant. He, he left it all, all of his wealth, to welcome poor beggars like us into it, that we might be recipients of it. So both his teaching and his example show us that stewarding all that we have for his glory is one way that we find our life. Now, the culture likes this idea on paper. Yeah, be generous. Give your life away. Serve. But, but here's what the statistics tell us. The statistics tell us that we live in the most affluent culture in world history, the most consumeristic culture in world history, um, and one of the most stingy cultures in world history. Average American gives around 3% of his or her income to generous causes. Richest people ever. And we give 3%. But we're not just stingy with our money. We're stingy with our time. We're stingy with our gifts and our talents. We're going to spend our time how we want to spend it. And if we're going to use our talents, we're going to do it to make a buck. E even though the culture would probably affirm stewardship and service on paper, the life shows that they think it's lost. But we would say, no, 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 no. Stewarding our life, stewarding our time, stewarding our talents, stewarding our resources for the glory of God. This is not loss. This is gain. And so let me just highlight from this Nicaragua trip that just got back. To their peers, college students who give up their spring break after a long quarter seem foolish. 16-hour days, 100-degree heat, 
serving in mud huts. I mean, really? Wouldn't you rather go to Panama City? Wouldn't you rather go have fun? But listen to how these students have found their life. I want to read a couple blog entries. And you guys hear this. This is so awesome. Mallory wrote this early in the week. I often make irreverent jokes about making millions of dollars off of obvious ideas, like a lockable cookie jar. Today I found myself, however, in the back of our bus, feeling like I have absolutely struck it rich. And it didn't require any new invention, anything flashy or come with any pomp and circumstance. It came humbly, somewhere north of Managua, on a school bus full of dusty, sunburned college students. For me, these things are signposts of a simple but profound kind. Our wealth in Christ is the treasure with no match. I cannot count it or spend it. It's freely for me by simple faith. I often find it difficult for my mind to grab a hold of this news. This weekend was different, however. God used people. He used friendship to show my heart the lofty truths I crave to know so deeply. The wealth and character of Jesus is put on such great display in fellowship. And I can hardly sleep. I'm so excited to share it with the people of Nagarote. And then Ashley Nunn said this. As Christians, I feel like we have something to offer the world rather than taking away from it. In a world that's screaming that you're unvaluable, unloved, worthless, we have the ability to show them that God speaks a completely different story about them. The more and more I press into the world, the more and more I want to go sit with them in their darkness. Overall thus far, my life this week has made sense. It makes sense on the back of a school bus with the windows down. It makes sense on dirt roads with innocent children scurrying around me. It makes sense when I'm sharing the love of the Father and a glimmer of hope begins to shine as God redeems his own. It just makes sense. When we give our lives away for God's glory, it just makes sense. And when we steward our time and our talents and our resources for him, we find our life. So what's the S in specs? Stewardship, well done. When I was 10, my dad told me something crazy. But he didn't just tell me something crazy, he modeled it for me. And because I trusted him, I followed him. And when I followed him, I found out that his way was a better way. The, the culture says that following Jesus is silly. But Jesus has not only taught, he has also modeled that his way is the best way. If we will follow him by submitting to the scripture, by being people of prayer, by engaging with the lost, by living our life in community, and by stewarding everything that we have for his glory, we will find his words come true. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Let's pray. Father, we worship you. We thank you that you have uh, saved us not just from a future wrath, but you have currently saved us into an abundant life, a life of following you, which is how we find our life. That's what we want. Um, we acknowledge that we fall so short in these areas. Where we fall short and when we fall short, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are um, more than sufficient to have gained our acceptance with God and to keep it. And so now we just want to follow you because in you we find the satisfaction we were made for. We pray this in your name. Amen. You guys stand and worship with us.